0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to a very special episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode was recorded at CES in January with Glenn Reed, who is the CEO of Marathon Laundry. He also worked at Apple and Next under Steve Jobs. The sound quality isn't perfect. We couldn't find a great place to hold the interview, but it, the content is worth listening to regardless. Glenn is a fantastic interviewee, and I hope you'll enjoy the things that he has to say both working about I'm on iMovie, iPhoto, uh, working for Steve Jobs, and his new project, Marathon Laundry.
1: Sorry, I have a tendency to ramble as you're learning
0: about me. So, you know, how, how would you introduce yourself? What, what would you tell someone if you were just meeting them?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. I, I mostly call myself a product guy. And sometimes that's to answer the question of how I got from software into hardware. A product I think of as something that people buy and value and pay for and consider. And software used to be like that, but it's not anymore. That's turned into the entertainment world where you give it away for free and sell ads to support it. So I used to be a software guy, but if you're a product guy, it kind of goes across all that stuff. It's you're making something that somebody else is going to use and you hope they want it and pay for it and whatever. And I think Steve Jobs was a product guy at the, at his core, like just another product, and they, he went from this to that to something else, and let's make phones, let's make whatever and it was sort of that same drive to just see a problem and fix it with a product kind of and it's, it's a it's a different way of thinking, part of it is seeing things that suck and wanting to make them better. Most people don't can't envision the future that's not quite there and envision a phone without buttons or, you know, like even trying to explain something you've already made, helping people over that. It doesn't exist yet, but it's going to be like this. They're like, what? You know, so it's sort of future imaging skills and considering possibilities and picking things. But as you know, you mentioned this earlier, products are compromise and trade-offs and duct tape and you got to actually finish it and ship it. So there's a convergence mentality that's required and rare. Like most people can't finish anything they don't know when their term paper's done they keep revising it they don't, can't finish their powerpoint they're editing on the plane digital media can be revised forever without any downside other than maybe it's not as good as the previous version <laughs> so it's a it's a mindful thing to say i'm done with that and it's surprisingly hard for people to just be done ahead of the dead ahead of the bell i've been uh describing recently I call it the pencils down syndrome so I have an engineer who has trouble finishing things and I say if you're taking a standardized test at some point it's over pencils down right and if somebody comes and takes something out of your hands say we're shipping that now you're done you're usually like wait I was about to uh, I didn't get to 27 I was saving that one for last. like sorry time's up pencils down if you have a time limit and you allow it to happen to you by somebody taking it out of your hands, it's usually not as good as if you finished it a little earlier, made the compromises, trade-offs yourself, and say, this is the best I can do. I'm out of time. I hate it. Most product people hate what they're delivering because they know it could have been better, but you got to deliver it. So that's I was consulting a couple years ago, and somebody asked me, how do you know when something's done? And I said, it's when you're tired of it, you hated it, and you're already thinking about the next one, <laughs> that's when it's done. That means you've quit doing the fun part, you've quit adding stuff, you're fixing things and compromising, and that's what makes you hate it. You're giving up on your own dreams in a way, but that's how you finish something. So when you're really done, artists do this, like the painting they just finished, they hate it. Like they don't want to look at it, like I'm on to the next one. <laughs> so that's a long-winded way to describe myself. It's a product guy who gets shit done, I guess is how I would put it.
0: So you mentioned Steve Jobs. You're, you had the opportunity to work for him. What was the big product that you shipped when you were for Jobs?
1: Um, iMovie and iPhoto. Built Both of them shipped four versions of each, I think, before getting sick of it and doing something else. But uh, 1.0 products are hard harder than later products. And that's kind of what I do well. I worked for him at Next, um, 1990, I guess it was. And then I started a company. I left Next to start a company called Right Brain Software. We built software for Next Computers. And I told him, I actually tell people I'm the only, I think I'm the only person who's quit on him three different times. (laughs) You usually don't get that many opportunities. The first time I quit, it was like, Steve, you don't need me here. You need me out. And building third-party products you need a page layout app so I went and built the page layout app for that platform which turned out not to be that good of an idea because they didn't sell any computers there was no market but uh, when Next bought Apple for negative 400 million dollars they started looking for people like me who knew anything about Next Step or any of that stuff because that's what became OS X. They just spray painted it a different color and Reluctantly put back some things that Apple people wanted to be there, you know, like the little Apple menu and stuff (coughs) But it it was a very different Technology base and all the Mac people hated it. They didn't know anything about it. Their expertise got yanked out from under them they no longer were platform experts, so They kind of snuck me in the back door to build iMovie and It was really just like scribble on a whiteboard go make that kind of a thing and it was a secret project such that inside Apple there were maybe six people who knew about it and the Final Cut team which was down the hall and reported into the same structure weren't allowed to see what we were doing you know uh, that's the kind of secrecy that and I had an internal office that had a little window that faced inward in the hall there was paper over the windows because you didn't want people walking down the hall this is IL1 like the, the executive building of Apple, where the only people walking down the hall were people like Steve, but the odd chance that he had a visitor with them there's tape paper over the windows and kind of ridiculous but uh, but you know we built iMovie in about nine months with three people just got it done and and I hid under my desk sometimes people ask me like don't you love shipping products and you know feel great I'm like no if you ship something that you know millions of people are going to use and it sucks then that's a bad thing and if it's a secret project like there were a handful of people testing it but not really compared to millions so yeah. there's a reasonable Some chance
0: people beating on something is very different than a million people beating
1: Exactly so there's a pretty good chance that you screwed something up you just don't know what it is yet so I I like to say I, I hid under my desk for the first month after shipping that and just like hoping that it didn't suck. And by the time you find out it didn't suck, the funds has gone out of it. So I, you never really enjoy a product launch or something like that just because the risk is so high of like, oops, there's a, a crash on launch bug, you know? So uh, pretty high stakes stuff at some level, but it's, it's just a piece of software at some other level. But it was a it was a pretty irresistible opportunity for a guy like me, like just a whiteboard sketch and go for it. And there was no real, there was no marketing. There was no specs. There was no nothing. It was just, you know, kind of like the uh, French resistance fighters or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, but my but photo and iMovie formed uh, part of the digital hub strategy. That, that really well, the
1: digital hub grew it. out of the, yeah, and, so at the time, nineteen ninety-eight, I think we built iMovie One and uh I'm gonna take a little side trip here. There are a couple things that company rules that I defied as a as a Jedi Knight inside of Apple, one of which was and the old Apple, I don't know how far back you go, but it was all about printing t-shirts and having inflatable, you know, things in your cubes and not getting shit done. So there was an edict that you will not make t-shirts for any reason. (laughs) So I was like, I'm, I'm not abiding by that. So I, I went out and had uh, actually golf shirts made with embroidered names, like, I like bowling shirts with like Glenn and script and, you know, I movie one on the back. I think we only made four of them for the team, but uh, and I just paid for it myself because i wasn 't getting it through purchasing or anything um, and the other thing that I did, which I almost got in trouble for, was another edict was I know the edict came after I did this, so Steve was sort of the product manager for iMovie One, so we were finishing up the product, and i I thought we should put in the credits you know like about this app or whatever everyone has that. I was like, but we're a movie app, it should be like movie credits, right? So we used our own credits plugin that does the scrolling things, and I made up all these things like executive producer was Steve Jobs, and you know, producer was Cena Tamadone, and you know uh I forget if we put in best boy and all that kind of stuff, but it was like a spoof on right, credits, yeah. right? And it seemed kind of fun. So when you picked that from the menu, it scrolled credits and uh Steve doesn't didn't like attention called to himself and stuff like, so he made me take it out of there. But uh, so we did actually a quick bug fix release just for that, like get that out of there. But I would say two weeks later, there was this email sent to the entire company from Steve Jobs. It's like, from now on, from now on, we're not putting anybody's names in the credit panels of any apps from here forward. And if you'll see that today, it just says, you copyright know, Apple. copyright Apple. Apple, there's no team members in there, and that's kind of my fault. <laughs> yeah, I did, and I kind of feel bad about that, but it was for a good... I thought it was kind of people would want it to know that he was the executive producer at some level. But yeah, an iPhoto... Well, the Digital Hub, that's what I was going to talk about. The In 1998, there was this sort of scare that... PCs were going away and netbooks were going to replace them and who needs a hard drive? You just always connected. And people were starting to try to do that. Like Sun, I think, was even trying to do that and HP and like take a lot, all the expensive components out of a laptop and just use
0: make it a network file computer. server,
1: make it a network computer. And Steve was just trying to, you know, put the resuscitation. Apple was almost dead. Like we we got to sell some computers to stay alive. Like that can't happen. So... I think, he never said this out loud, but I think iMovie came from, we got to fill up the hard drive with something. How about video, you know, because you needed a fast computer and local storage. You, you could not edit video on a netbook, right? Yeah. It just couldn't be done. So let's put video editing in there. And Apple had designed FireWire, but never stuck it in a computer. So it was like, let's put a FireWire port in there <coughs> and let's hire Glenn to build an app to stick in there. And we've got a video editing machine that makes you need a hard drive and all that stuff. And then that's where the digital hub strategy came from, which was fill up your hard drive so you keep buying computers. What else can we fill our hard drive up with? Like, how about photos and music and stuff? So they all kind of piled on after that. But I think it was, you know, battlefield triage at the beginning, which is like, this patient's going to die. What are we going to do? Like, stick some you know stuff in the wounds and ship a movie editing (laughs) and I don't know how it, it was considered even much more deeply than that like it's a fill up and I used to call it a crap removal tool like what was wrong with most video was the crap that you needed to get out of there it wasn't suffering from lack of transitions or titles it was suffering from you forgot to turn your camera off and you're or you're yelling at your kid over the top of your camera or whatever so uh Randy Ubillos, who did Final Cut always kinda hated that I did iMovie and he I worked with him at Adobe and then he decided to hate me later from iMovie. But uh he told me like because we did he called it destructive editing. When you deleted something in iMovie and emptied the trash, it went away. Because you needed the disk space, and there was six gigabytes of space. And he was mad. He's like, you can't do destructive editing, nobody wants that. I'm like That's what we're doing. It's a crap removal (laughs) tool, you know, and it wasn't artful arranging of beautifully shot clips. It was just like getting rid of the shit in your movie. So you wanted to show it to somebody, but it was really, it really did fill up your hard drive. Like DV was six gigabytes held about 30 minutes of DV and you had to get your operating system on there and a few other things. So you could barely get 30 minutes of video on, on a Mac, on an iMac DV.
0: You had, you know, in the best of all worlds at that time, you had 256 meg of RAM to work
1: with. Right. So, yeah, it was 10 pounds of shit in a 5-pound bag. So, I'm getting too deep off the back end no, no. of my career,
0: but... I, uh, I bought a Power Mac G4 specifically because of iMovie. Cool. And got on board with OS X because i have been using... Um, os2 and linux before then wow and so coming over and having a batch terminal
1: there our laundry machine runs linux I was right. <clears throat> <laughs> you
0: made this this iMovie which is one of my loves you know iMovie HD iMovie 6 and before yeah based on your work is, is my jam that's where i was and i still like it
1: it was good i still try to use it the new movie new iMovie just isn't And that makes me mad because they didn't even try to read your old projects and stuff,
0: you know. I can do new iMovie. If I'm using an iPad or phone, I can do new iMovie
1: barely. It was Randy's vengeance on me. He created that himself just to make iMovie try to go away because he hated it all the years in between. But I don't think it served the customer all that well, frankly. I don't mind photos. I thought I was going to hate that. But it's it's nice and clean and simple, and that's what it should be. And after I left, they started polluting iPhoto with face recognition and things that you don't need. And originally it was just, let's scroll through all your photos as fast as possible, because what else do you need, really? And and you don't need all that other stuff so much.
0: Faces is still in photos, but it's, it's sort of hidden enough that it doesn't stick right out at you.
1: Yeah. And it's pretty impressive that it can do what it does, but pretty useless at the same time so I found that people want value without having to do anything and facial recognition at least you don't have to do anything but most of the time the photos you're interested in are the ones you just took on your vacation and you're loading the moments you have a thousand photos that haven't been facial recognized and you haven't tagged them and they're not in albums that's where your attention is so all those features don't help you with the ones you just took And if you tag them and sort them, then maybe next year when you're digging through them. But it's it's delayed gratification. So I think nobody really does that except turbo geeks that have to organize everything. And I do it when I make, you know, calendars for my kids, one per year whatever. Like for a specific
0: project, you'll spend the time to sort them. Today's sponsor is Casper Mattresses. Obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com insider and using the code INSIDER. Listen, you spend about a third of your life sleeping. Let's make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. Casper brings together two comfy technologies for better nights and better days, latex foam and memory foam. So they've got just the right sink and just the right bounce no matter how you sleep. They've got a risk-free trial and return policy. They deliver it straight to you, you can try it for 100 days, and if you're not happy, they pick it back up. At the store, maybe you get a minute to try a mattress. With Casper, you sleep on it. It's $500 for a twin-sized mattress and $950 for a king-sized mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price point. So get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash insider and using the code INSIDER. Some terms and conditions apply, obviously.
1: But the laundry machine you know as a product guy you look for things that just are opportunities or things that suck and i was actually paging through a magazine and saw an ad for washer and dryer and was not sure which one was the washer and which one was the dryer because they look that similar nowadays and i couldn't tell from the photo and i realized why are they different you know there's no particular reason they both spin around the same way and look the same, and, but they're different. And it's the only task I know of where you have two machines, each of which does half the job, and you have to move your work from one to the other. Everyone hates that, and they kind of take it for granted. But I started looking into it, and it's mostly a historical artifact. Uh, things that slosh water around came along pretty early in the late 1800s, and uh, things that dry your clothes required heat or gas or whatever so they took another 50 years before your home had enough electricity to dry your clothes so you would hang them on the line for 50 years and people just forgot to put them back together into one machine but you don't have a dishwasher and a dish dryer and you have to move them from one to the other you know so it just was kind of sitting there and the europeans have combo machines but they were invented to solve a different problem like An apartment, which space and whatever, and they're all ventless, they don't vent to the outside, so it's always kind of a rainy day inside your machine. It's evaporating it and condensing it and raining, and you know, it's like Hawaii in there, so nothing ever really gets dry. It takes five hours to dry, but if you take that wet air and you blow it in the backyard, it actually works fine. So, I kind of saw this opportunity. To combine the two but I held off for a while several years actually because it seemed unclear how to compete with Whirlpool and Samsung and in, in their game and they can obviously do this any day they want because they make washers and dryers. so it took the internet of things to come along and have me pondering what if you put it on the internet would that actually be better too and we have this little marketing thing we call thing one and thing two, which is the internet of things. Right. But so thing one is that it washes and dries, which is important, but not quite enough for us to succeed. Thing two is sort of what Tesla did, which is thing two is we're going to go do this and put a big ass screen in it and connect it to the internet and kill it. Like that's what we do here in Silicon Valley. (laughs) And it seems absurd at first, but it's, that's what's happening is Silicon Valley is going after traditional industries and re- redoing them Silicon Valley style. And I saw that opportunity in laundry and I saw that opportunity happen and I didn't cause it, but that's what Adobe did to printing in the eighties. You know, printing industry was fine for hundreds of years and then they Silicon Valley it. you know, like, Hey, we're going to put this in a computer and draw pictures of font characters and scale them up and down and laser print them. And the, it, it, completely disrupted the printing industry and the, the smart people in the printing industry adapted and became digital printing companies and a lot of companies went out of business cuz they refused to accept it turns out you still want graphic designers and typesetters you shouldn't do it yourself but the technology shift was really driven from xerox park and laser printing and stuff and tesla and google are doing that to cars and you know we're doing that to washing machines you can't always explain the benefits of why you want your washing machine on the internet and blah 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 smart grid. But what I know and you know is, after it happens and you have one in your home, you're like, cool, cool. You know, it it is better in non-specific ways. Some of it happens when you're asleep. It updates the software. Some of it's just things that you think of that weren't possible before you had a reusable screen or whatever. But if if you And that isn't enough either if you just sort of put a touch screen on it. But if you take thing one and thing two, and I think it's compelling enough that people will stop and think about it, like, maybe I should buy one of those. And it's a little bit harder for Whirlpool to catch up on the Internet side. Like, they could make, by, you know, over the weekend, they could probably combine washers and dryers.
0: They can probably put a screen on it.
1: They could put a screen on, and they have so, pseudo-smart grid things. They just don't know what to do because, you know, they're, they're not steeped in that culture. They don't have people sort of geeking out over, you know, IP addresses and stuff. That it's, and, the, you know, the best and the brightest out of MIT, they don't even go to Austin or Mumbai. They go to Silicon Valley. And I think we have this amazing... Um, bubbling cauldron of ideas and people that leads to actual innovation and some of it's Dumb and you throw it away or grow out of it, but some of it actually is profound and And enduring and 3d printing is like that, you know It it is profound and enduring and and quadcopters are but not as a consumer thing like they've reinvented aerial photography great, but the control systems that allow you to fly a quadcopter also allow Elon Musk to land a rocket backwards you know it's it's essentially incredibly fast uh compensation if you're riding a bike and you you know like only people could do that balance something on their finger now computers can do that cuz they're just super fast and i've seen a robot balance a stick on its finger it's sort of amazing and that's useless but landing a rocket backwards is not useless so Like, some of these things are pure technology, and some of them are actual steps forward, and we never know quite which are which
0: at the beginning. Technology has changed the way we run. Smartphones now allow even casual runners to map their runs, create running playlists, and track their progress. Taking advantage of these things, though, has always meant stopping to look at your phone, which means you lose motion and momentum. Until now. Mara is a hands-free running assistant that uses voice recognition and the microphone in your earbuds to help you optimize your runs. She's hands-free, and you talk to her using your earbuds. She uses voice commands, and you tell her what kind of run you'd like to do. You ask questions about your speed, your pace, location, duration, or the weather. And you have her play albums and playlists from your music library. Mara can speak first. She can tell you how you're doing and compare your past runs and records. She'll tell you about changes in the weather and if it's about to rain which is really handy in, in places where it rains a lot. You know, Mara's team lives in Seattle, and they're familiar with rain, so it's it's nice to not have to be caught out in a run. And you can track your progress. You see all your runs, your hot spots, and rough legs of it, and Mara tells you and recognizes what you've accomplished. Visit Mara.ai, that's M-A-R-A dot A-I, to download your free virtual running assistant. Suppose I'm, I'm looking at washers and dryers. Why? Why do I need one that's from you, from Marathon, one that's in my name? What's the first thing I'm going to look
1: at that goes in sells me. I think about it a little differently. I think most people don't really want to buy a washer and a dryer. They're, they're pissed off. They're just broke. They moved into a place that doesn't have one. They're not excited about it. You don't, it's not like buying a car or a computer. <laughs> there are some laundry geeks, but they're few and far between. But So you walk into an appliance store and you're sort of like, all right. And, and maybe it's been five or ten years since you bought the last one. So you're coming out of a place of kind of just wanting another one just like the one you had and then finding out it's twice as much as you paid for it and what is all this crap that I don't understand. So I think that we will stand out as being different right away it's a different looking interface that doesn't have a bunch of buttons that appeals to you because you don't know what they all do so you're like what's that and the fact that it washes and dries will be curious but you can sort of see the value in it so you're it's you know one of these things is not like the others that's what originally draws you to it but your checklist brain kicks in and you're like okay what's what's wrong with this picture you know So what we're really trying to do is make sure we've checked all the boxes, the price point, the dimensions, the performance, the energy use. We don't want to be off the needle anywhere that doesn't matter to us but does matter to you. And so it's not a reason not to buy it, essentially. And then it's essentially like all the the features that we're doing are what's left over after you've gotten to the bottom of your checklist, like, Okay, it's the same in all the ways that matter. It's the same price point. It's 27 inches across. That's good, you know. But it's internet connected. That's kind of interesting. You know, tell me about that. It's not the primary thing. It's what's left over. It's like the the special sauce at the end, kind of. Because I don't think you can sell that to people. I don't think people want their machines connected to the internet. They don't care. They want it to do laundry. Exactly. Explain. And the, the benefits are mostly indirect. And... Uh, some, most of the benefit of things that are internet connected is the company who sold it to you and not you like it, big data benefits everybody but you you know Visa knows everything that you've done and you don't even know like where did I spend all my money this month like you know we joked the NS I lost all my photos don't worry the NSA has a copy of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can just figure out how to get them you know yeah. um, so how does how does all this stuff benefit you? So, we're collecting a bunch of data. We know when you do your laundry and how hot the water was, which your existing machines don't know. And at first, you don't get how that benefits you, but if it keeps you from having to set the buttons again to cuz it remembers or if it helps you reorder detergent because it knows how many miles are on it or if it triggers service or you know there is benefit in data, but it comes out slowly over time and we have a way to establish multiple users like Tesla you know that in your car settings one settings two settings three remember my mirrors and everything which only the owner of the car does because when their daughter drives it they screw up the seat settings, so you get it back to where it's supposed to be but Tesla is like you log in and tell it who you are and then it brings up not just your seat settings but your favorite radio stations or whatever and it's hard to convince somebody that that's why you would buy a Tesla, but if you own one, you love it. you know it's like this is great. I can just touch my name, and all of this stuff becomes me and so we borrowed that idea, not specifically from them, but you don't have to tell your washing machine who you are, but after a while you will it's like, this is me, this is my wife, this is my daughter, and then it tracks energy use by person, and you can see who's using all the hot water in the house if you want to. We track kilowatt hours and dollars and Right now, you have no idea how much water your washing machine used. At the end of the month, you get a bill, but was it the sprinklers? Was it the washing machine? How
0: many showers. You don't shower know.
1: So we we know, and we'll keep track of it. and we'll, we'll try to let that data benefit you instead of, you know, Big Brother or whoever. So, and I think most really good technologies evolve that way, where you buy it for some reason. It's the latest thing, right? but it, you, you fall in love with it because it exceeds your expectations. It does things that surprise you and delight you. And iPhones are sort of like that. No one knows quite why they bought them except that they were different and new. But if they grew on you, like, wow, you know.
0: exactly why I bought it. Well, you're a- I bought it for visual voicemail.
1: You're probably a, an outlier in that regard, but I think most people bought one because it's from Apple, you know. And it sounds like it's cool. People lined up to buy things they'd never seen before. But if they sucked a little bit, that, that wouldn't work. You know, it needs to not suck when you get it home. And it needs to get better and kind of be, be cool at some level. And, and that's where I think internet-connected things can deliver, is if they keep exceeding your expectations and getting better, as opposed to disappointing you with features you didn't really need and sort of that flash versus substance thing. So we're focusing more on delivering long-term value that will make you love it and not short-term value that we can explain in 30 seconds up front. It makes press conferences very hard to conduct because, you know, why is this better? Why do you want it on the Internet? You'll, you'll find out later by buying one.
0: <laughs> so tell, tell me what the retail price is. 11.99.
1: Okay.
0: And where are people going to be able to buy it?
1: Um... We probably shouldn't disclose that just yet, but the better answer is um, big retailers, and several of them are interested in what we're doing because it's new and interesting, and they've been selling the same stuff for years, so they're taking us very seriously. We want this to compete right at the center of the bell curve with you know, your ranch home in Texas. I want a big washer and dryer that does my laundry. It's not, a, it's not an apartment play. It's not a space-saving play. We want you to buy two. In fact, we might make you buy two at the beginning because they cost the same as one. A washing machine costs $11.99 right now, so you get the dryer for free. So buy two. Buy two, get two. Is, you know, you can't buy just one. You've got two slots for a washer and a dryer. You need two because you need drums doing your laundry. It doesn't matter whether yeah. one's a washer and the one's a dryer.
0: The, one for throughput. Washing. So.
1: If you watch people go to a laundromat, they yeah. they spread their laundry out of as many machines as possible. They want it all done in one cycle. So people should have four washing machines, really, but they just don't have room for them. Although I know two families in Portola Valley, which, granted, is not a standard part of the country, but who have four washers and dryers, they stack them. It's a little uncommon. <laughs> but, you know, two dishwashers is becoming kind of commonplace because there's a little bit more room to fit them in a a kitchen. And everyone experiences the problem where no one wants to empty the dishwasher. So um, what happens is you pile them up on the sink, right? So if you have two dishwashers, you can be filling one while you're emptying the other and your counters are clear. And once that dawns on people, for 200 bucks you can get a second dishwasher and more homes than not in, in affluent neighborhoods have two dishwashers. And I think someday, you'll have four washing machines. If you've got two, three, four kids and you're doing laundry all the time, why not really? So we, we want to be right in the center of the distribution curve, center of the price point, center of everything. We want to be the next thing. And I tell people when they ask why I'm doing this and it's, it's silly, but it's not. I say I want my own Wikipedia page someday, (laughs) and I I wanted to say I'm the guy that got rid of the dryer, because I think it's just silly that they still exist. And they exist mostly because that's where the big companies make all their money. There's nothing in the dryer but a motor and a fan, so it's a huge profit center, but there's no real reason for it to exist. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're a bit of a standout. Most people have never seen the inside of an appliance or, or care, but... It's a pretty interesting opportunity, and I love sleepy problems that, you know, nobody's having hackathons in Silicon Valley trying to improve laundry, and I've been sitting on this idea for five years, four years anyway, and nothing has changed. So the opportunities in sleepy problems give you time to turn them over and think about them and really kind of get it right. If you're hurrying up to compete in the drone space, you, like, shoot now, aim later, you know? So... It's a different. It's just a different space, and and there are just as many problems in old, leftover, forgotten areas as there are in white-hot, new, three D printing areas. But it's a lot easier to win in an old, sleepy category than a. You know, I do not want to compete in. Uh, home smart home thermostat light control systems right now like there are yeah. 10 major players all with similar feature sets fighting it out and I'm not one of them and that's not a coincidence and you know venture capitalists in Silicon Valley most of the categories they believe there's only one winner and so they're in the job of picking the winner or sometimes manufacturing the winner if you're you know Kleiner Perkins <laughs> you declare your company to be the winner, and sure enough, they are, but there's second and third place don't matter in a lot of these spaces. There's not room for third place players, and when the dust settles, there will be probably one dominant home automation system, and it's up for grabs who that is. You know, Lowe's is in the game, and everybody's trying to reinvent it in a slightly different way. At the end of the day, all it does is turn your lights on and off, so I'm not sure how much value is there if you look carefully at the at the internet a home the smart home almost everything is an on off switch and your furnace has on off your you don't want your refrigerator to go off but they don't play in the smart home too well right now lights on and off you know and a light switch is actually a pretty sophisticated interface for how to turn a light on it's right by your door and it's one flip you don't have to fumble for your phone and log in like it's better than a phone for turning the lights on and in 1975 some Swedish company developed X10 which was essentially the same thing so people have been beating that horse for what is that 40 years now and it's about the same it turns your lights on and off there was the clapper in the 80s and that's been done and some people love that and I'm not one of them but it's time for the actual things to be smart. Like instead of a smart thermostat, how about a smart furnace, right? Right. And it can be better because it knows that it's a furnace. A, a thermostat has a. It's a pretty. I mean, you know when the thermostat's on that it's consuming energy, so you can add a lot of value. But you're not the furnace. You don't know. Uh, you don't know about being a furnace so much, and you know the refrigerator because on off is meaningless the refrigerator really does have to be smart before it can be in the smart home and i honestly don't know what that is either because they should keep your food cold and pretty much hold the same temperature all the time so everyone says oh it can tell you when you're out of milk but that's what kids are for you know and, <laughs> and- even that's fairly hard. Like, how do you tell when you're out of milk? Well, you have to put your milk on the milk sensor so that it knows that you're, when it gets lighter, you're out of milk. Like, really? What if I want to put it in the door, you know?
0: Or the barcode scanner. The-
1: yeah, so people are stretching, trying to figure out how to make a refrigerator smart, and maybe there will be something. I don't know what it will be.
0: I just want a camera aimed inward with a display on the door so I can see what's inside without opening the door and wasting all the energy.
1: That's a pretty good idea. Actually, one of my ideas a few years ago, which, you know how kids open the refrigerator and they stare at it trying to figure out what to eat? And the thing about cold air is it's heavier than regular air. So my infrared brain kind of sees all the cold air like falling out of the refrigerator, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what happens. It tumbles out the bottom. tumbles out the bottom. Then you close the door and you do it again in 10 minutes. So the refrigerator is always on, just trying to get it back to where it was. And the obvious solution to that is to turn the refrigerator sideways and and have the door open up so the, the like an, old freezer, like like an old freezer and you can open the door all day long and the cold air just stays in there and you lose essentially no heat and it's weird like a sideways refrigerator well, some of the
0: three drawer the three door drawer,
1: the drawers are great that way yeah um but the drawers inside the door not so much no, but those some don't of them, matter. yeah but the, the cabinets right the
0: two doors up the top and right. one drawer at the
1: bottom but people don't get that The reason that's good is that it's holding the cold air. They think it's nice because it puts it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, there's. I mean, it's it's science at the end of the day. Like, cold air is heavier than than room temperature. (laughs) My dad was a physicist, and he was funny. Like, he would say stuff like, "Heat doesn't rise. Hot air rises." You know, and that's true. Heat doesn't rise. He transfers between dissimilar things warm air rises but only in the context of cooler air you know so uh, he would always pit, uh, nitpick things like that And but it's it's kind of true so yeah we're trying to find some real value in the internet of things and it's hard work for everybody in this space because we're trying to figure out what's valuable and I think some of it we'll figure out later. So a trusted friend of mine said, if you're doing an internet connected thing, the one thing you have to get right is your software updater. If that works well, then everything else is easy. And it's kind of true. You can fix bugs. You can make things better. If your software updater doesn't work, then it's less good. But a surprisingly Small number of internet-connected things have the concept of a software update. They just do what they do. They connect when you turn them off. They don't even store anything. You know, your quadcopter is awesome, but it doesn't know that it took photos yesterday and it doesn't remember anything. And I think that that's huge value. I guess we got to go. You know, a, a potential customer who sent us some email, at, you know, info at marathonlaundry.com asked a question and I'm crediting her with this idea. She said, she said, I want to buy two machines, but I want to put them in different rooms. And it never occurred to me that if you have a washer and dryer, they have to sit next to each other. But if you have two marathon machines, you can have one in your pool house and one in your rec room and one in your bedroom for all that matter because they both they do both and you don't have to carry wet laundry down the hall. So there's an interesting opportunity there to, you know, put one where all the sports equipment is, and just sort of weird towels and sheets or whatever, and you're not carrying them up and down the stairs. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's kind of fun. It's all kind of off the cuff, but true,
0: or true as I know it. It was at this point that we had stopped the recording, but we were so grateful to Glenn that we got to hear about Marathon Laundry, his history working at Apple and Next, and his thoughts on what it takes to make a product. We'll be back next week with a regular episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Mara, a hands-free virtual running assistant that uses cutting-edge voice recognition to help coach you to better runs. Play music, get updates on your location, pace, weather, and compare your current speed with past runs without ever stopping to look at your phone. Using your earbuds, Mara can hear your commands and put them into action. To download your new running partner for free, visit mara.ai today. Run with a sidekick. Make every mile count.